0: So you guys, let me tell you a little bit about my warning. Today I woke up at 6.30, thanks to a phone call from my girlfriend, because I asked her to call me, because I, otherwise I would not have woken up, woke up, whatever the word is. Um, I got here to church, and uh, I had written a lesson. I wrote it on uh, verses 16 and 17, because we, we've done 1 through 15. And I got here to church, and I felt like that's not what I was supposed to teach, so I wrote another lesson on verse 18. And... Uh, so, in that confusion, I was going to come to church early this morning and finish my PowerPoint, but since I had to write a new lesson, I read this lesson and then I was going to quickly do the PowerPoint. So, I got like to the second to the last slide and the power cut off of the church. <laughs> and the PowerPoint disappeared. <laughs> Except for like three slides because it auto-saved or whatever. So, there won't be any PowerPoint today, to say that. But also, it's been a pretty frustrating morning. Uh, just a lot of rushing around. Uh, trying to get things done on time. And then as when I left teaching the senior high schoolers, uh, their Sunday school class, I left my wallet in there and it disappeared. <laughs> so uh, we had to go just find my Jake and Laura just walked around and found it for me. Uh, but anyway, just to say, I've had a frustrating day. So if I've been anybody's head off in the past 20 minutes to an hour or whatever, I apologize <laughs> if I've avoided anybody or whatever, I apologize for doing that. Jake and Ryan especially, I know I did it to you guys. Say what? Say what? No, it's okay. No, dude, you can't walk. It's fine. I don't want you to stress yourself. So, um, Anyway, saying all that, let's pray before we get started, uh, and then we'll get into uh, Romans 1.18. Uh, God, I thank you so much uh, for drawing things to our attention. God, I thank you uh, for correcting us, God, through uh, our friends and uh, through the ones we know, God. and uh, Even just now, my brother called me out a little bit earlier, and I even denied it. Uh, but God, you uh, work through him, so I thank you for that. Uh, God, I pray right now uh, as we begin to teach, God, I pray uh, that a word would not be spoken that is not from you. I pray that I can completely step back, God, and that this lesson will be completely from you. Thank you uh, for the rushing this morning. Thank you for putting it on my heart to change the lesson. Um, even though it seemed kind of inconvenient, uh, God, I, I know you have it for a reason. And so, God, I pray uh, that we can be focused and that we can seek you out, God, in the word we're about to read. Praise things in your name. Amen. Alright, so, I appreciate you guys Let me apologize to you. Let's go to Romans, chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 16 through 18, but our main focus is going to be on verse 18. So let me read these for you. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. In verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Alright, so we're going to look at verses 16 through 17 just really quickly. Um, briefly, Paul sets forth the gospel of God in these two verses. Okay, He laid out the groundwork for how he's going to approach the importance and the idea of the gospel throughout the book of Romans. Okay, verse 17 says this, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So, for in God's salvation, or for in the gospel of God, the righteousness of God is revealed. So, first, you can see that Paul totally understands the purpose of his being alive. He totally understands the reason he's alive. Um, he understands the reason he's alive, the reason for his salvation, and the reason he's preaching the message that he's preaching uh, right now in this book. Um, so, for the righteousness of God to be revealed. That's his goal, to reveal the righteousness of God. And through that, which overall, that requires God to be glorified. But the knowledge of God leads to God's glorification. Second, that verse tells us what Paul is going to do throughout the rest of the book. Reveal the righteousness of God. And then verse 18, which we're going to start today, starts that argument. Okay, so Paul's going to go through now and reveal the righteousness of God through the gospel of Christ. He's going to explain that to us. What does salvation bring about for us? How is God revealed through that message? Alright, so that's our focus as we go through the rest of the book of Romans. All right, so verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and ungodliness. All right, so interestingly enough, the first point Paul has about God's righteousness is wrath. The first thing Paul brings up about God's righteousness and how God is revealed through his gospel is wrath. The idea that God is even capable of, capable of wrath is really a stumbling block for a lot of people. Um, it's certainly against our wishful thinking as to how we want to picture God. Um, but I think more importantly to us in this room today, it's a stumbling block to Christians. It's something that we in the church look at and say, I really don't want God to be like that. Um, we like our God to bring us blessings and to be nice and gentle, unless he's bringing judgment on somebody else. Because we know we all want somebody to get served. <laughs> right? So, and then number two, most, most of the contemporary evangelism today preaches a health and wealth message. Uh, it consists of the joy and blessings of salvation and the peace in God that true faith in Christ brings, but it kind of forgets the other part. Uh, and they're right. Every single one of those things that they teach, they're great, and they do come with having a true faith in Christ. They do come with that. That's that's part of the whole picture. But it's only part. The rest of the picture is the part that hurts, the part that scares us, the part that we don't want to think about, uh, the part that we kind of block out so we don't feel as bad when we sin. Uh, we block out God's judgment of sin. I guess... I should say we, we really just try to block out God's judgment of sin. We try to not think about that part. Um, and we see here, for Paul, it wasn't like that at all. The fear of condemnation from God was the reason Paul converted to Christianity. It was the reason, and it was also the first thing that Paul brought up when he was trying to witness to somebody. Okay, It was the first pressure he put on somebody. He was determined that they understand the reality of God's wrath before they understood and before he gave them an escape from it. okay? Paul wanted everybody he met and everybody that he witnessed to to understand the reality that God had wrath and to understand what that reality was, where that reality came from, and why it was there before he even gave them a chance to escape from that. So Paul's starting here with wrath. He's talking to the Romans and he wants to make sure that they understand why God has wrath. And then from that, he's going to stem to the blessings. Alright, so we really... It makes sense to do it that way because we really can't understand uh, the nature of God's love unless we first understand how much he hates our sinful nature. You guys catch that? We can't fully understand the nature of God's love unless we first understand how much he hates our sinful nature. And we can't understand God's grace without first knowing the perfect demands of his law. How do we know God's being graceful if we don't know that he's letting us, giving us grace for not doing something? How do we know? And we can't appreciate forgiveness unless we first understand the eternal consequences of our sin and how a penalty has to be paid for it. Okay, so we have to first understand that we are wrong in order to make a correction and understand what is right for all what right means. We're not going to understand what wrong is and we're not going to understand that forgiveness from the wrong. We're not going to be able to make a correction to be right until we grasp how wrong it really is. Alright. So, let's look at the word wrath. What does it mean? Um, The word for wrath in Greek is orge. O-R-G-E. And yes, it is pronounced like I said it. Orge. Uh, And the closest and simplest translation is the word wrath. But the the definition for the word wrath is based on anger. Okay? So, when the Bible talks about the wrath of God, it has a simple translation of anger. So, how can we have an angry God? If He's the love that we hear about and seek for, how does anger mix in with that? How can God have a temper? You know, how can He act up when He's supposed to be all loving all the time? Um, God's attributes are balanced in divine perfection. As we know, God is perfect. We talked about that last week. Um, If He had no righteous anger or wrath, he would not be God. Just as much if he had no love, he would not be God. Okay? He perfectly hates just as much as he perfectly loves. Perfectly loving righteousness and perfectly hating evil. You guys following? Good. All right, so as we discussed a little before, one of the biggest tragedies in modern Christianity is the failure to preach and teach the wrath of God and the condemnation it brings upon all unforgivable sin. Guys, we can't forget that yes, God saved us and God is going to take care of us and He is going to give us blessings and it is joyful to know that and we have a peace from that. But at the same time, guys, when we mess up, God is going to punish us. Wrath is going to happen. And we are all subject to it. Perfect example, the decay of the family. We can blame a million things for the situation that families are in in America today. We could blame whatever. But it always comes down to the fact that people don't realize why it is important. Okay, the reason family is important is because God says the family is important. That's the only reason. And since we don't realize that that's the basis for the family, we, fo- we don't focus on the right things to keep the family intact. And since we're not taught that it's a sin to neglect the family, and really since we're not taught that sin is bad, our families suffer willingly. It's our own doing. We ask for it. Okay, God's wrath is real in the family, as well as it is real in each of our own lives. And you might say, Colin, we don't ask for God to destroy our families. Essentially, you do. You might, you might not pray to God and say, hey, uh, God, I really want you to destroy my family. Okay, I don't think that's a prayer anybody in here has ever prayed. Okay, but at the same time, we're not seeking out God the way we should to protect our families and to uh, guide our families. You know that We could be doing a lot more. We could be doing a lot more to understand why God is important in the family. And we'd be doing a lot more to make God important in the family. So we're asking for it. We really are. By not focusing on that. And I'm not saying any specific one of you in here is doing that. But a church as a whole, and the nation as a whole, it really is. Alright, so let's break down verse 18. That's kind of the introduction. We, we understand wrath now. We understand um, how God's wrath works into everyday situations in life. Um, so verse 18, here's a breakdown. We're going to look at the quality of God's wrath. We're going to look at the timing of God's wrath, the source of God's wrath, the extent and the nature of God's wrath, and also the cause of God's wrath. So, first off, let's look at the quality. Notice how in the beginning of verse 18 it says, for the wrath of God. Of God. So first and foremost, we can see that the quality of this wrath is divine. Okay, It is of God which makes this wrath unlike anything in the world we live now. It's not like human anger, which is always tainted by sin. God's wrath, like God himself, is always and completely righteous. God's wrath is always and completely righteous. When I busted Jake's chops for saying something earlier or whatever, when I got angry, if you want to call it anger, annoyed, whatever it was, that's sinful human nature. We get flustered and we react on that. God doesn't do that. God doesn't get flustered. There's no surprises to God. God doesn't lose his wallet. <laughs> okay? That doesn't happen. Every act of wrath that God has is righteous because it is of God. Alright, so, it's so different from human anger that we, we really can't even compare it to human anger. Uh, first, we don't need to be comparing God to ourselves anyway because we're going to have some really screwed up pictures of God. <laughs> it's going to be really messed up. Um, but God's anger is not capricious or irrational rage. It's it's only response. Okay, it's only response that God could have towards evil. That's the only way God can react towards it. Why is that? God is good. All right, we hear that all the time, and I don't know that we really understand that. I don't know that we really grasp how good God is. Um, he is only good. And completely holy. That's, all, that's it. That's all he is. He is good and completely holy. Alright? So, when sin happens, it's always bad, right? We talked about that the first week. Which means it's not holy or good. Which then means that every time sin occurs, it's a direct attack on what is holy and good. And the only thing that is fully holy and good is what? God. Right? So, the only reasonable response is for God to take wrath on those direct attacks of sin. Direct attacks of sin. See, to defend what is righteous, the things that are not righteous must be taken care of. To defend what is righteous, the things that are not righteous must be taken care of. And the only way to take care of things is to solve problems. Right? And the way to solve this is to punish those who cause the sin. God's wrath. All right, so even in our messed up societies, we expect people to be outraged by injustice. We expect people to be outraged by murder or by abortion to some extent in the church or by um, all these different things that go going on. We expect people to look at that and think that is bad. Okay, There could be nothing worse than not being upset with sin to God. There could be nothing worse than to not be upset with sin. Alright, so let's look at the timing. That's the quality. It's perfect. It's righteous. The timing. We see later in verse 18, it says, is revealed. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed. Now, I'm not going to be able to tell you uh, when exactly God's wrath is going to be brought upon you. Okay? I can't tell you, but we can look at what God gives us and see how close we can get. So you kind of know when to expect it. Alright? Let's look at the word revealed. Apocalypto. A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-T-O. Apocalypto. That's the word for revealed in Greek. And it basically means to uncover or to bring to light or to make known. All right, God's wrath has always been revealed to fallen mankind, starting with Adam and Eve and moving right up to us. Uh, as soon as they listened to the serpent, God cursed them, and he cursed the earth. Okay? What about the flood? He killed the world because of what? Sin. Okay? What about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? What about the drowning of Pharaoh's army? Okay, guys, all these things, even down to the imperfect laws that men have set to rule over us today are a part of God's wrath. When we murder, we go to jail. That's punishment, right? God set those in place. And then by far the most definite and best picture of God's wrath is the sin of the world was placed upon the shoulder of his very own son. And when that happened, he bore the full divine force of God's fury. God hates sin so deeply and requires a penalty so that he allowed his perfect beloved son to be put to death as the only means by which fallen mankind might be redeemed for sin's curse. So if God hates sin so much, why does it seem that those outside of God and his his will and his salvation seem to prosper so much and those that do evil constantly, uh, why are they so well off? Why do we see people outside of the church and doing things that we know are wrong? Why do we see them prosper and and not suffer? Well, if we take this verse for all its worth, it says that God is going to have wrath on those people. It says that. However, it does say that it is revealed. Not that it is acted upon whenever sin happens, but that it is revealed. Okay, which doesn't mean that as soon as that person sins, God's wrath is going to happen right then. How many times do you sinned and then like a week later you realize it? <laughs> you know? God's wrath didn't happen right away. And not that your realization is your wrath, but you know how is God going to punish something you don't realize you did wrong? You know what I'm saying? It takes time. So if God's wrath is delayed, it's kind of like His bowl of wrath just kind of keeps filling up. Right? Like He knows you sinned. So with increasing sin comes increasing wrath. Romans 2.5 says, They are only storing up wrath for the coming day of wrath. Okay? These unrighteous men... These unrighteous people that we see, that we notice and that we get so almost jealous of because they're not getting punished by God, those people, they're just throwing up a bowl of wrath. That's all they're doing. They think they're getting away with it, but they're just throwing up a bowl of wrath. So we don't have to worry about that too much. So I can't tell you exactly uh, when God is going to show wrath for all the different sins in our life, but I can tell you that God's wrath is going to be revealed for your sin. One second, Jesse, I'll get you. What that means, that makes God's wrath constant. Because we constantly sin. And God's wrath is going to be revealed. Again, don't think that God is all grace and mercy because God does rule and God does hate sin. Okay, Don't think He's all grace and mercy. His wrath is going to be shown. Jesse, what's up? I said there is nothing worse than not being upset with sin to God. God has to be upset with sin we should hurt for them, but it's not our job to create wrath for them. Does that make sense? Okay. You good? No, that's a good question. That's a good question. Alright, so the source. So as we keep going through verse 18, we see the phrase, from heaven, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So that means God's wrath is rendered from heaven. That's where it comes from. Despite Satan's present power as prince of the air and of this world, the earth ultimately belongs to God and is dominated by heaven. Okay, from which wrath is constantly manifested in the world of men. So heaven reveals God's wrath in two ways. Way number one, moral order. Moral order. When God made the world, he built a certain moral and physical laws, uh, which have governed its operations since then. Okay. Just as a person falls to the ground when he jumps from a building, so does he fall into God's judgment when he deviates from God's moral law. It's kind of like built-in wrath. Okay, uh, We see sin, or when we sin, it has a built-in effect. And that effect doesn't always come in the same way, but it makes you go outside of the righteousness of God. Right? Because sin cannot be good. We talked about that already. So automatically, you are removed from God's will. Built-in moral order. All right, And then number two, direct and personal intervention. Okay, he is not an impersonal cosmic force uh, that set the universe in motion and let it run on its own course. There is things set in place. When we sin, we go outside of God's will. That's how it works. That's what it is. That's set in place. But God's wrath is ex- executed exactly to his divine will exactly to His divine will. He knows how to deal with us and He's going to do whatever it takes to put us back inside of His will. Whether it is moral or direct intervention, the wrath always originates in heaven. Whether it is moral or direct intervention, the wrath always originates in heaven. It doesn't come from Satan. It's not where it starts. It's not where it comes from. It comes from God. It comes from His divine will. Right? Next, the extent and the nature of God's wrath. The next part says Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is universal, and it's going to be discharged on all who deserve it. Okay? God's wrath is universal and it's going to be discharged on all who deserve it. Not just part. Okay, it does matter how good you are. It does not sorry. It does not matter how good you are. The most moral and upright person falls short of God's righteousness. Okay? No matter what. The most moral and upright person will always fall short of God's righteousness. No one escapes God's wrath. Period. End. Nobody. It's like this. We all go down to the beach front. Okay? We line up uh, one behind the other. I tell you that I want you to jump from Virginia Beach to Spain. Okay? I want you to run from the boardwalk to the end of the jetty and I want you to jump to Spain. Okay? The furthest person gets, I don't know, 15 feet, 20 feet, maybe. so for the crazy guys in the Olympics that jump jumped like 25 feet or something. Um, the chance of us meeting that goal is extremely unlikely, right? 15 feet, as far as we get. That's the most moral person. That's how it's compared to how good God is. Okay? We're that far behind. Guys, we fall short. Romans three twenty three for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So the extent of God's wrath is that it will happen to everyone because everyone falls short. Not just because He wants to wrath us; it's because everybody falls short. All right, and then the second part, the nature—that was the extent of God's will. Now the nature, or not God's will, the extent of God's wrath. The nature is the second part. Um, God does not just lash out when He gets upset. Okay, He doesn't just go crazy. It isn't him seeking revenge against those who have wronged him. Okay? God's wrath is reserved for and justly directed only at sin. So God doesn't get mad at Paul because he sinned. Okay? God's wrath is reserved for sin. Okay? God doesn't just get upset because we screwed up. He gets upset because we mounted an attacked attack against what is good and perfectly holy. So, ungodliness and unrighteousness, the two words used here in the verse, um, are synonyms. Okay, The first stressing a faulty relationship with God. Um, God is anger because sinful men are His enemies. Sinful men are His enemies. Ungodliness refers to a lack of respect for who God is. A point of view that will definitely lead to some form of false worship. You guys catch that? Ungodliness refers to a lack of respect for who God is. A point of view that will lead to some form of false worship. Guys, if we respected God the way that God wants us to respect Him, if we respected God for all that God was worth, we would never mess up. Because we would recognize at that point how much and how awesome God is. Okay? Okay? But because ungodliness is part of our nature, we have a lack of respect for God, and at that point, we're going to fall into some form of worship that is not directed towards God. And then number two, unrighteousness encompasses the idea of ungodliness, but it's far more, um, but is more the focus of its result. Okay, ungodliness is our lack of respect. And what is the result of that? It's unrighteousness. Sin first attacks God's majesty, then it attacks His law. Sin first attacks God's majesty, then it attacks His law. We do not act righteously because we are not rightly related to God. We do not act righteously because we are not rightly related to God. And because that relation is wrong, all other relations in our lives that we try to have are going to be wrong also. Ungodliness, unavoidably, is going to lead to unrighteousness. So it's not wrath's nature or God's nature to hate people. It is wrath's nature to hate sin that we all practice and sin has to bring God's wrath. So that's wrath's nature. What's the cause? Who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. That's the last part of the verse. Who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. So how can God hold those who have so much less chance of hearing the gospel uh, responsible for moral or spiritual failure? How can He do that? The answer is that because we're so inclined to follow sin, that also makes us inclined to resist God. Because we're so inclined to follow sin, that also makes us inclined to resist God. This part of the verse really says, who suppresses the truth by upholding sin? Okay? Okay. It says, who suppresses the truth and unrighteousness? What is unrighteousness? That's sin. Okay. So who suppresses the truth by upholding sin? Unrighteousness is so much a part of man's nature that every person has a built-in natural desire to suppress and oppose God's truth. Or in other words, to sin. It's a little bit different when you think about it that way, isn't it? I don't resist God. You do every time you sin. You resist God. You uphold sin above God. See, everyone can recognize that something created the world. Everybody. Everybody can recognize it. That there's something bigger than what is here. Uh, We all have a sense of that. The only reason everyone doesn't recognize God is because we resist Him through seeking out other desires and easier routes. Since we're not naturally inclined to seek God because sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were naturally inclined to seek God. But then sin entered the world and at that point, we weren't any longer. We miss him because of that. Okay, Even when God was on earth, men still sought after darkness instead of light. Okay, John 3.19 Men sought after the darkness instead of the light. Romans 1.19 says that it's evident within us and around us who he is. It's evident by how we were made, who we are, and what's around us, who God is. So every person, no matter how isolated from God's word or the gospel, is held accountable and is subject to God's wrath because through they're not recognizing God. They are resisting God. And resisting God is sin. So the cause is not God's hate for sin. Okay? The cause of God's wrath is not God's hate for sin. The cause of wrath is our sin. Does that make sense? It starts with our mistake. And then God has to hate that mistake. That's the second step. If we didn't sin, God wouldn't have to hate the evil, right? Because there wouldn't be evil. But since we sin, that happens first. And then God has to hate that sin, which creates wrath and anger. Do you guys have any questions about wrath? This is the introduction. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at part one. And the week after that, we're going to look at part two of God's wrath. Okay? This is just the intro to the wrath. All right? So, I'm going to go ahead and read um, verses 19 through 21. And uh, we're going to look at, um, just so you guys can kind of focus for next week on what's coming up. It says this. I'm going to read 18 through 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks But they become futile and their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Alright? So next week, part one, reasons for God's wrath. And then after that, part two, reasons for God's wrath. Unless I can combine it all into one, in which it will just be reasons for God's wrath. That's right. That's right. Alright, let's pray. And uh, we're free to go. God, thank you so much uh, for this time we're able to come in here and meet God and uh, seek you out. God, and listen to you. and um, God, I just pray that, that we really understand how great our sin is. God, even little things, I pray that we understand, um, God, how good you are. And so that we understand, God, that when we sin, it's a direct attack to you. Uh, God, thank you uh, for bringing things like that to our attention. God, thank you for not hating us before uh, we mess up, God, but that we have to mess up in order to, to earn the anger, to earn the wrath. And God, I pray um, that you make us whole in you. God, that we seek you out uh, daily, God, so that we can't avoid these things. God, so that your word is the first thing that comes to mind, not frustration or anger or annoyance. God, help us to be that way. Um, It's not an easy road. It's not an easy thing to overcome. But God, I pray that we can seek that out. God, I pray that we want that. I pray that we desire uh, to live a life that way. And, And God, I pray that we know most of all that the only way to do that is through you. So, God, thank you so much for sending your son, God, so that we can have a relationship with you, God, so that you can teach us, um, God, that you can make us whole uh, in who you are. Uh, praise things in your name. Amen. All right, guys, we're free to go. Hey, from now on, we'll be getting out at 1.30. Uh, me and some of the staff decided that was best, so you guys aren't starving. So that is the plan, to leave at 1.30 every Sunday.